Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. There shall come, note, a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So maybe with Daniel's influence years before, these guys had an idea where the Messiah would come from. But it's interesting to me that these magi, these astrologers, they are the ones who see the sign, understand the sign, and they travel to Jerusalem to find the Messiah. It's interesting to me that there are people, God's people, who are living in Israel, who also knew the sign, but it doesn't, the scriptures don't tell us they did anything. But these magi who live hundreds and hundreds of miles away, they see the sign and they act on it and they move to come looking for the Messiah. Now, this star, this sign, there's a lot of speculation out there as to what this star in the sky was. Some people say it was a curious conjunction of planets. Others say it was a comet. Some say it was a supernova, which all of these things are possible. But could it be that it was simply a star? Hello? Is that possible? People always got to, well, now what really was it? Could it have been a supernova or What really was it? Hello, maybe it was just a star that God placed where he placed it because he's God, the same God who said, let there be light, and there was. It's just simply a star. But whatever it was, I think the important thing is this. Note this. God, through that star, was reaching these magi who studied the stars right where they were. Isn't that interesting? You see, God speaks to people, and listen, God reaches people right where they are. Those magi, the wise men, they studied the stars. How did God speak to them? Through a star. God reaches people where they are. You remember the shepherds who were watching in the fields. Where did the Lord meet them at? In the field. We have Pastor Zachariah, you might want to call him. He was a priest in the temple. You might remember he was the father of John the Baptist. He worked in the temple, and the Lord appeared to him where? In the temple. You see, God has his way of meeting people. God meets people where they are. Now, we, the church, church folks, we want people to come meet us where we're at. And we'll say, oh, yeah, you can come to church now, but you're going to have to clean up a little bit. You're going to need to get your hair cut and take a shower and get all cleaned up, and then you can come to church. That's not God. 
God reaches people right where they are. You know, this whole Calvary Chapel movement, if you have been looking into it, the whole Calvary Chapel movement, this church and my ministry, all began with one man way back in the 60s who went to the beach and saw a bunch of hippies hanging out on the beach playing their guitar. Their hair was nappy and long and down the here. They were dirty. They were stinky. They were smelly. And if they went to the church down the street, they would have been not welcome to go there. And it was Pastor Chuck Smith's wife, Kay, who said, honey, we need to do something about this. And they invited all of those hippies, the rejected people of the world, invited them to come to Bible study just like they are, didn't have to clean up or nothing like that, and invited them to come in Bible study. And here we are 30 plus years later now, that is what began the Calvary Chapel movement of a bunch of dirty, stinky hippies coming into the church and and dirtying up the carpet. Chuck tells a story, you might have heard it, where all these hippie people, they come in the church one Sunday morning or Bible study or whatever it was, and, and they had just got new carpet in their church at Calvary Chapel. They had just got new carpet, so the elders come and chuck, and they go, Chuck, those hippies, they stink. And their feet, is, they're filthy, and they're dirtying up our new carpet. What do you want us to do, Chuck? And Chuck says, take up the carpet. You see? Just reaching people right where they are. That is so very important. And it's also during that time where the whole praise and worship with the guitar came into the church and the new praise songs and all of that had began to infiltrate the church. And people began to worship the Lord with the guitar. With that fresh expression of worship happened way back then in the 60s. I don't know if you knew this, but two, three hundred, four hundred years ago, you know the traditional songs that we sing as hymns now? Two, three, four hundred years ago, they were considered cutting-edge praise and worship. Did you know that? Like the old rugged cross and amazing grace and, you know, when I survey the wondrous cross or whatever. All those old hymns were considered cutting-edge, man. I mean, this is the hard stuff. I mean, we can't, I don't know about all this. That was what the praise and worship was like two, three, four hundred years ago. The father of the Reformation, Martin Luther. Get this. He took popular drinking songs of his day and the melodies that were being played in bars and he turned them into worship songs by changing the words. Songs like, Away in the Manger, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And when people first heard those songs and recognized the melodies, they gasped. How could they do that? Back then, today, those songs are classics. Interesting. In 1690... The teenage son of a preacher came to his dad and said, Dad, I really love the Lord and I like hearing you preach, but the music at church stinks. Well, his dad became angry that he would say such a thing and challenged him to write some new songs. And write he did. That young man's name was Isaac Watts, who gave the church some 360 songs of worship, like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and Joy to the World. And then it was in the 1800s that William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, used a trumpet and a tambourine to reach the lost on the street. In his day, he was accused of employing devil's music. Interesting. You see, the point is this. They recognize the need to reach people where they're at. 
Paul said it like this. I become all things to all men that I might win some. You know, there's a lot of music in the church today that, that I don't understand. I, I do not understand uh, some Christian rap. I don't understand Christian rock and roll. I don't understand Christian hardcore. I'm like, no, what's happening in the church? I don't understand it. My son plays in a hardcore band. And and if you know anything about hardcore, you know this is loud music, y'all. If y'all think Calvary Chapel is loud music, this is not loud. No, he's got some loud music. He's like, Dad, you got to come and hear me. And this Christian, at the end, they got Bibles back pocket. At the end, take it out, preach the gospel. These kids with these, you know, hair purple and spikes, dog collars around the necks, and all these kinds of kids go to these kinds of concerts. And so he says, Dad, you got to come and hear me. And I said, Ronnie, I can't do it, bro. Bring me a CD or tape or something. I just can't do it. I don't understand it. But every generation needs to have a fresh expression of worship. And let me tell you something, whether it be rap, what Christian, Christian, which means the lyrics are Christian, all right? Whether it be rap or hardcore or rock and roll or whatever kind of music it is, I have seen God reach all kinds of people with all different kinds of music. Have you? Amen? Oh, it doesn't matter. God can use it, and God wants to use it because there are different people out there, and he wants to reach them, just like he reached the Magi. How did the Lord reach them? Through a star. As they were studying the stars, God used where they were at and what they understood to move them to Bethlehem. Now I want you to notice something in verse 2. Notice they weren't coming to get something from Jesus. Did you notice that? It says, for we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. You see, they weren't coming to get something from Jesus. They were coming to give something to Jesus. Give him what? Give him worship. You see, think about it. He hadn't done anything yet. Well, I mean, he, he, hadn't, he, was a, he was a boy. He was a child. What had he done for mankind yet? Nothing. But they were coming to give to him, not to receive from him, to give him worship. How often do we talk about we need to get something from God and we need to worship God because of what God will give? Listen, that's true. I I believe that if we worship God, God will give to you. If you worship God, God will bless you. If you worship God, God will provide for you. God will meet your needs. God will answer your prayers. Amen, saints? If you worship him, God will meet your need. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll always be with you if you focus on worshiping him, but that's not why you worship him. You worship him because of who he is. These wise men were worshiping him because of who he was, not for what he gave because he hadn't given anything yet. And they said, we come just to worship you just because of who you are. That's why we need to worship Just simply because of who he is, the Bible says he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the, the, he is fairer than ten thousands. He is a bright and morning star. The Bible says he is the lily of the valley. And we are to worship him just because of who he is. God, if you never do another thing for Rodney, I will worship you just because of 
who you are, not for what you can give. Now, if that don't get you excited, you are dead or without a pulse. <laughs> Amen, saints? Amen. Just for what you can give, Lord. You know, it had been said that wise men came to worship him, and wise men and women have been doing the same thing ever since. You see that bumper sticker, wise men still seek him? Amen. Wise men do. Notice in verse 3 through 6. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem was troubled, because when Herod is troubled, everybody's troubled. And so he immediately calls together the religious leaders, and he asks them where the Christ is born. And did you notice this? It's the religious people who knew the scriptures but did nothing about it. It's the religious folks that quoted Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. Christ, simply that verse prophesies that Christ will be born in Bethlehem. They should have known, and they did not know. Bethlehem. Now, I've been to Bethlehem a couple of times, and I can tell you it is the most anticlimactic place I have ever been. There is, Bethlehem is a small, dirty, little, run-down city. It is the worst place for tourism. I mean, when you go there, I've been to Israel. When I first went to Israel, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I went to Israel. I get off the plane at Tel Aviv, which is the, the, uh, the airport there, and get off the plane. And, and, you know, I'm expecting to see, you know, like Jesus and Mary and donkeys and, and, you know, like some caravan of people coming by with camel. You know, I, I got the whole visual in my mind. Man, when I get off that plane, I'm in Israel. God is in Israel. Some lights or something should be happening when I get there. Well, I get there and nothing I mean, it was really anticlimactic. So they herd us all into the bus, and they take us over to Bethlehem for lunch. Now, we never really had lunch in Bethlehem because when we pulled into the city of Bethlehem, there was a sniper on the roof of one of the buildings. And so all, I'm with a bunch of pastors, and they all, start, they all start saying, get on the floor, there's a God, look at that guy on the roof, there's a God, everybody get on the floor. And they're scrambling to get on the floor. I'm like, no, no, take pictures, take pictures. So I started taking pictures, you know. And when we got back to the States, all the pastors were saying, hey, Ronnie, you can give me a copy of that picture, man. I'm like, no, you wimp. hundred bucks, man, hundred bucks. And so we get there, but it's, it's kind of anticlimactic. As a matter of fact, I was reading this article in the San Francisco Chronicle, and a poll, listen, was taken listing the hundred or the ten greatest disappointments in the world of tourism. The ten greatest disappointments. Number one, the polo lounge in Hollywood, where all the movie stars are supposed to hang out. Every year, thousands of tourists come to see the stars, and all they see are other tourists. Number one disappointment. Number two is a casino in Monte Carlo. And number three disappointment in the world of tourism is Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem. Tourists go hoping to see something incredible. Instead, they find a common, small, dirty, unimpressive little town. Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't it appropriate that Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, was born in a city named the house of bread, Bethlehem? Isn't that interesting? Bethlehem is famous for one reason and one reason only, and that is because Jesus was born there. That's it. Bethlehem, the city where Jesus was born. Then notice in your Bibles in verse 9. Apparently when these wise men go back to Bethlehem, they stopped this star. Did you get that? This star stopped right over the house. Notice it says of the young child. It does not say it stopped over the house of the baby. Because, listen, by the time the wise men saw the star... And they started traveling. They traveled for a year and a half to two years. Remember, they didn't have like limousines and jets and planes and and bus transportation and this kind of stuff. They didn't have any of that. They had to travel in caravan, on camel, and on foot. Or maybe on donkey. But it took them almost two years to get to where Jesus was. And it was after two years or about that time that they come into, notice it says, the house where Mary and Joseph lived. They were not at a barn. They were not, baby Jesus wasn't in the stable in a little manger when the wise men got there. They got there and Mary and Joseph had already moved into a house. And Jesus was already grown up to be a little toddler. Which now, don't misunderstand me, this totally messes up my Christmas. I can't handle this. This is traumatic. I mean, I mean, because we in, in our manger scene, we got the manger scene. And in the manger scene, what do you have? You got Mary and Joseph, you got Jesus, the small baby, in the manger, and the wise men are standing there. That just totally messes me up. And now I'm thinking, man, you know, if you have a manger scene, you know those lighted lawn manger scene things? If you have one of those and you put them out during Christmas, you might want to take the wise men and put them a couple blocks over. <laughs> because, or put them down the street or maybe at bit. Look, I'm just helping you trying to be biblical. I'm just trying to keep you biblical, okay? Or put them in the backyard or somewhere so they look like they're coming toward because it's, you know, it's actually two years before they actually get there, which, which totally messes me up, but it's the truth. So when they came in, they saw Mary, and notice, if you see this in your Bible, you got to see this. When they came in, they saw Mary, his mother, and they fell down. Look at verse 11, and they fell down and worshiped Mary. Is that what it says? Say no. Trust me on this one. Say no. No, no, that's not what it says. When they came in, they fell down and worshipped who? Jesus or him. Very good. They worshipped Jesus, not Mary. They worshipped Jesus, which is the only person we should worship. And then I want you to notice something here. And I'm coming in for a close, coming in for a landing here. But notice this. I want you to notice something. They bring him what? Three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you know there is a message even in the gifts that they bring? Think about it. Who do you bring gold to? You bring gold to a king. And they bought frankincense. You bring frankincense or you would give frankincense 
to a priest. He was a mighty king and a ministering priest. And then they bring him myrrh. He's a martyred prophet. Myrrh is a burial spice, and it speaks of suffering and death and burial. Think about it. They come into the house. The child is there, and they walk up to him, and they give him gold. They give him frankincense, and they give him myrrh. Giving him myrrh was like handing a child a death certificate. So they come in, even in their gifts, we have the threefold office of Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Interesting. And they come in and they offer him gifts. And they present those gifts. And God warned them in a dream because they studied dreams not to return to Herod. And so they went a different way. You know, the first time he came... He came veiled in the form of a baby. The next time he comes, and I believe it will be soon, saints, he will come not veiled, but it will be abundantly clear to to the entire world just who he is when he comes again. It will be clear. The first time he came, a star marked his arrival. The next time he comes, the sky and the heavens will roll up like a scroll and all the stars will fall out of the sky and he will light up the heavens. The first time he came, wise men and shepherds brought him gifts. The next time he comes, the Bible says he's going to come and give you gifts and give me gifts. His rewards are with him. The first time he came, there was no room for him in the end. The next time he comes, the whole world will not be able to contain his glory. The first time he came, only a few attended his arrival, some shepherds and some wise men. But the next time he comes, the Bible says that every eye shall see him. The first time he came, he came as a baby. But soon he's going to come as a king of kings, a sovereign king of kings and the Lord of lords. You want to note something in closing. Did you notice the different responses of three different groups of people? Did you notice that? The response of Herod was what? hostility and hatred the priest and the scribes they were indifferent all the while maintaining their religious respect and then we have the response of the wise men they sought jesus so that they could worship him and they bought him gold frankincense and myrrh why because gold frankincense and myrrh speaks of the fact that worship is costly worship is costly they bought him gifts Three different responses, three different groups of people. It was Jesus who said to Peter, Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some say this, some say that, some say this, some say that. And Jesus said to him, Peter, here's the ultimate question. Peter, who do you say that I am? You remember that, saints? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, thou art the Christ, the son of a living God. And Jesus said, good work, Peter. But you didn't get that from yourself. You didn't just think it up. He says, the spirit of God, flesh and blood, hath not revealed that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed that to you. See, the question is what? Who do you say he is? What will be your response to him? The baby? We love Christmas because we love the baby in the manger, but let me tell you something. The baby is no longer a baby. The baby grew up to be a child. The child grew up to be a man. The man was beaten, suffered, bled, and died. It was the man who went to Calvary's cross. 
It is that same man that they took down from that cross and they buried him in a tomb. And yes, you guessed it. It's that same man that rose again three days later and ascended into heaven. And it is that same man, the Bible says, who sits at the right hand of God, ever lives to make intercession for you. But don't stop right there because it is that same man, the Bible says, who will someday crack the sky. And it is that man, his name is Jesus, who's going to come back someday. He's going to rule and reign in righteousness. Who do you say that he is? That's all that matters. doesn't matter what your family says. doesn't matter what your friends say. It only matters what do you say. And I hope you say that he is Jesus. He's not a baby He's a grown man. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.